0: to the very first Nutmeg Podcast, a version of the Scottish football periodical for your ears. I'm Daniel Gray and I'll be your host until the public demands otherwise. The Nutmeg Podcast will appear quarterly, ostensibly to discuss magazine content. In between times, there will be special edition podcasts, shorts and in-depth interviews. This time out, we'll be discussing the recently published Issue 4 with some of those whose words and pictures feature... Issue 4 is available now online at nutmegmagazine.co.uk along with back issues and subscriptions. First up in episode 1 of the podcast then are Stuart Cosgrove and Fraser McFadgen. They've produced a magnificent photo essay entitled "Let the Drums Beat Louder" about young ultra fan groups. Welcome both of you. Hello there. Good as, to see you. as this is our first podcast, I want to ask you, Stuart. First, what's your most memorable or greatest footballing debut in history?
1: Well, one debut that springs effortlessly to mind was uh, it was an away game at Easter Road, and St Johnson had signed a, a striker from one of these kind of questionable leagues just around London uh, and I can't remember uh, what the league was or even uh, whether uh, it was uh, important within the hierarchy of football but we'd signed a guy called Martin Buglione and he scored 45 goals for his team and I came to uh, uh, Easter Road to watch this debut and uh, he was okay he was alright and then within about three minutes of the game left we were just about to leave and Buglione uh, picked up the ball about kind of 30 Yards out and just hit the screamer of a shot that nearly took the roof of the net off, and uh, the away fans went home delighted and I just thought. This is a living legend. This guy is going to be the biggest footballer that St. Johnson's ever had. Uh, and I made it my effort a couple of days later uh, to track him down to do a little interview with him. Uh, and he said to me, I called him Martin in the interview. And he said, just call me Boogaloo, he said. Martin Boogaloo, was his name. Just call me Boogaloo. And the thing that I derived from him, the one nugget of information, was that his father ran the most successful roofing company in Billericay. Uh, he was dropped two weeks weeks later and left the club about six months after that he was a complete dud but for that debut alone we wish him well
0: <laughs> and we'd all swap anything just to have that one game That's yeah, thing. absolutely and it's in,
1: the, it's in the in the memory bank and we'll never fade you
2: know
0: and for you Fraser a memorable debut
2: well um, Gary Hayes home debut for Kilmarnock was pretty good he scored twice against Aberdeen and they went on to score one more and he's 360 odd <laughs> games after that so we, we thought we had something that Local boy as well.
0: So I'm sensing it's the well, debuts the that up. end up coming to nothing that we most enjoy. Yeah. Um, turning to the, the piece in the magazine, um, it, it's a, a really evocative piece, that mix of photography and, and words that, that works so well. For you, Fraser, was it easy to take photos? It's such a colourful, vibrant movement, the ultras movement. Yeah. So was it quite easy to a subject to cover?
2: Yeah, I I was a bit apprehensive going in. You know, you don't quite know what you're going to get. You don't quite know if they're going to be on form, if they're going to accept you in. Mm. But, you know, you you go in... It's
0: almost like being a sociologist trying to to, to blend in there.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I met a few people uh, before the game at at, um, at McDermott Park and they were really friendly. So that was great, great start. And then into the stand and they had a display of Eddie. So they they were actually quite keen to get the display... You know, on camera, they were quite happy for me to be doing that. They were a bit, some of them were a wee bit suspicious of me. So a couple of scarves across the face and the rest of it. But no, um, yeah, they were, they were pretty fun. And I got, I got speaking to the guy that was kind of leading the chance at halftime. And he was he was for chatting, discussing it, saying what to do, what else to do. You know, it was it was good, and Motherwell much the same. Had a bit of trouble with the stewards at that bit because they were getting a bit rowdy. But you know, all fun. So all it's
0: quite fun. an accurate insight into what it's like to be an ultra, if you're yeah. in the steward trouble and everything.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I think yeah, the stewards were overreacting, in my mm. personal opinion. But you know, it was.
0: And Stuart, the piece—the piece—you're full of affection, or um, you're, it's a celebration, really, of the ultras yeah. movement, particularly in contrast to what was happening in the seventies and eighties. Their forefathers, and perhaps even fathers, when perhaps granddads actually, yeah. they're such, such young young lads, they are being castigated by clubs, though, aren't they? Yeah, what, I, what are the clubs threatened with?
1: Well, I, I think there's a number of things going on here. Firstly. I think that gradually across time, I mean, if you looked at the wider sociology of this, football has kind of gradually edged out young working class men uh, who once dominated the kind of football spectatorship. And gradually over time with the anxieties about violence in the 70s and 80s, with obviously the issues around drink at matches and that, uh, gradually more and more young men have fallen out of love with football. It's not part of their kind of weekly rituals the way it once was was Uh, and a lot of that's to do obviously with change patterns of work the decline of kind of uh, industrial Scotland there's all sorts of different reasons that you could give for that but I think the clubs have to take some of the uh, blame as well because uh, what they've done is they've kind of uh, they've sort of almost found it difficult to uh, bring into their uh, family if you like uh, disruptive and sometimes difficult teenage boys you know mm. it's classically like the family that doesn't want their son to have a bad reputation around town and whatever and they feel very um you know protective of one notion of the family which is you know things like you know the halftime time kick about the mascots dressed up as chickens you know all that kind of thing it's all-seater but, stadiums as well all-seater stadiums <laughs> it, and whatever. Singing sections. It, it really does and the singing sections died away probably in the kind of 70s and 80s and now they've come back but what what I also found interesting about it, um, as we were working on it, was how important and this sounds odd in the context of Brexit, but how important Europe was to the evolution of the British. Uh, ultras and the ultras here in Scotland and I say that because if you looked at the 60s and the 70s, the rise of the skinheads, the rise of even the casuals and whatever, it was British youth subcultures that dominated the world. They were the ones that everyone else the Germans, the Russians or that looked up to and for the first time certainly in my lifetime I'm watching young guys look elsewhere for their influence their influence isn't for example England or or Dundee or, or anything, their influence is actually looking on websites at what Dinamo Zagreb are doing or of what Paris Saint-Germain are doing or whatever. And they're clearly fascinated by the Italian football of now and any time over the last 20 years and have adopted some of the kind of key terms, some of the words, some of the, you know, they call themselves curva sud and things like that. The mother world yeah. ones are called the boys, B-O-I-S, you know. So there's this sense of um, kind of embracing European football spectatorship. That, that's a big
0: change. Mm. Has this surprised you, Fraser? This this um, movement from Green Brigades and, and Blue Order, Red Ultras, all of the different groups. Did you see it coming? Really, when you're going to matches, uh, you know, is uh, it a total surprise? I, I
2: didn't, no, I didn't see it coming. I guess no. I, I've always liked looking on YouTube, watching the videos of the Ultras in Italy, and just for the spectacle. And I always don't think about the danger that they they have outside the grounds if they're fighting, if they're so, like. Civil disobedience, you know. I, I, I like the colour and the atmosphere that they bring, and I, and I kind of feel envious of it. So once I was able to see that, like, the Bean Brigade and the Well Boys in particular it up, I thought, this is fantastic, this is great, that this is in Scotland again. Because as a command fan, it's just a big empty stadium at times, and there's very little atmosphere, and we need a bit of colour and a bit of noise again. I mean, I went out to Italy to the Milan Derby with my friends and then um, on the Sunday the game was at night time and in the Sunday afternoon in the the local city of Bergamo Atalanta were playing against Roma so we decided to go to that as well and that's where we really saw the proper Serie A that I grew up watching you know James Richardson mm. like Football Italia on a Sunday and it was just like there is again that passion yeah. again and the noise and the colour and it was fantastic and, and it just really got me going again and I couldn't wait to get home and and Watch football again, you know. Yeah. Not that I was getting bored of it, but you know that you do get a little kick from, from doing stuff like that, going and seeing how they do it. Yeah, other, it's a reinvigoration. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's interesting you mentioned uh, Gazetta Football and things like that. That comes yeah. up a lot and for those of us that grew up in the 90s. Is yeah. it a such an Well, can I give
1: you a little bit of kind of a nice bit of pub trivia there? Um, I had to make judgment because I was uh, at Channel 4, uh, at that time, Head of Arts and Entertainment within which sports at. And I had to make the decision about which of the presenters were most going to occupy that idea of being Italianate sitting drinking the cappuccino giving you this insight (laughs) into kind of Italian lifestyle and whatever and James Richardson who was not a particularly big football fan uh, managed to convey that better than Mm -hmm. any of the other presenters he won hands down but there was a very clear number two who we were very very keen to uh, also look if Richardson turned us down or whatever and you'll never guess who that was it was roger mitchell who subsequently became <laughs> yeah. the chief executive officer of the spl and who now lives back uh, near italy in, in lake como so for a brief period of time roger mitchell was almost a channel four star oh we have our yeah. first
0: nutmeg podcast <laughs> exclusive there that i'll yeah. be doing the rounds on twitter as soon yeah. as people hear that one and mm. um, fraser mentioned there the color of everything you describe brilliantly the, the theater yeah. of the ultras do you find yourself watching them rather than the game at St Johnston's? Well, you
1: know, there's a, a lot of times when you're conscious. I sit over to the uh, uh left of them in the centre of the east stand and you you're very very conscious of when they start up either a chant or or a piece of theatre or a show a t4 whatever it is and they're you know uh you, you there is a tendency for you glance and if the football's not compelling or if the ball's out of play or if it's even a break in play or whatever um, it's good to look over and see them having a the little kind of banter with the uh, with the away fans but one of the things that I love of most about it is that what it seems to me to say is that the club that I support has this really robust, healthy group of young men who want to come and see football on a Saturday and support their club? And I think if clubs like St. John'son risk ever losing that, they're they're really cutting off their 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 nose despite their face. And it's one of the real risks that we've got. I know that over the years that's been a challenge at um, at Motherwell as well. I, you know, the Green Brigade went through periods of 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 boycotting the club because of their dispute with the Chief Executive Peter Lawwell um, and the whole idea about whether they could or couldn't stand could or couldn't move sideways and whatever and I'm not saying the clubs have an easy job they've got to navigate health and safety they've got you know the pressure on them from UEFA and whatever to run safe stadium, whatever. But nonetheless, to chase away people that want to support the club cannot be the answer.
2: What well, well, these ultra groups as well are bringing local guys, guys from Perth, guys from Motherwell back yeah. to support in St Johnson and Motherwell. Yeah, yeah. because that's one of the boys was saying that there's Rangers and Celtic fans in there, but
1: they're now St Johnson fans, fans again yeah. because. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah they've got
2: something to come to it's not yeah. just the football
1: yeah
3: and it's, and it's the sense of, of being together yeah
1: and it's the kind of theatre of their life I mean you know it's remarkable that young men can go away either hire a hall or get uh, access to a room via the club and rehearse and plan and think about what they want to do and make their banners, big strip banners and you know either paint them or graffiti them themselves or get them professionally designed for them. I mean I know that um, the young ultras at St. Johnson uh, Fair City Unity, they've got endless numbers of kind of stickers that they've got from various kind of suppliers online and everywhere they go they sticker them. Now there might be some people that say, oh not another uh, ultra football fans sticker on my pub window but there's a sense in which they're kind of saying we're here and we're not going away. They also
2: make their own scarves and they yeah, yeah. sell them and distribute them. That's and right. Make the, money from it, the, so. the
1: interesting thing is that the Fair City Unity chose uh, uh, Dundee's colours as their uh, dark blue as their colour rather than conventionally the colour of St John's which would be royal blue uh, and that takes you back to some of the kind of anxieties that fans had Uh, when the casuals came along, it was, they're not even wearing scarves. They don't even want to be identified. And they people get furious with it. And, you you know, I was listening to this guy one day in front of me going, I don't understand this. They're wearing Dundee scarves. What the hell do they think they're doing? And this guy's sitting there and all he had on was, a, was an anorak which was virtually the Dundee colours and I'm saying but but you've yeah. got an anorak aye but it's not a football scarf and he was almost catatonic with rage and you just think do you think these young guys maybe actually enjoy you raging like a clown yeah. about the colour of their scarves or oh, well,
0: certainly they do you know it's a lovely return to that kind of provocative uh, yeah. punk ethos of youth yeah. that we, we think or we're told is dead that narrative of young people just staying inside all day yeah. playing computers or whatever yeah. mm. this choreography this provocative behaviour. And they It doesn't they, they go over that. the edge but deep down they really care about yeah. the club and the team. And yeah. surely we should be welcoming this a lot more before we lose another generation mm-hmm. that actually go to you think so. you
1: think yeah. So, yeah, I would hope so. I mean, you know, I, I also feel that uh, you can build up other rivalries, you know, traditional rivalries are local ones in, in Scottish football but it's the case as well that um, the boys at Motherwell Fair City Unity at Perth and Inverness Ultras have clearly got a rivalry of a different kind which is how do we get more visibility and, and you know the curious thing is I know some of the kids that were photographed in, in, in Nutmeg and I, I've also heard on the Grapevine some of the Motherwell guys as well and they were hugely proud that they were being singled out because it gave them a, a special status that they were the ones that were actually going to be profiled. And you know, when you're young that's 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 you being kind of legitimized, you know?
0: Absolutely. And it's yeah. so infinitely preferable to people fighting each other, which yeah. you know yeah. I know there have been isolated incidents obviously, but it's so yeah. far away as you as you allude to in the piece. Yeah from organised violence in the city Yeah, there's no 80s. mass
1: rampaging or any of that kind of stuff. It's actually quite controlled. And be- yeah. because of its theatric nature, it's controlled, it's structured, it's planned. And if there is trouble, it tends to be between the match coordiniser... Coordinator, the steward, and and the ultra group, not yeah. between ultra groups fighting each other. Yeah. you know,
0: absolutely. Do you think, Fraser, the football clubs are just terrified? They don't know what to do with
1: this development. They're just terrified in case it turns violent.
2: That's it. Mm-hmm. That, that that's the main thing. That's there's a bit of anxiousness about even speaking to officials before the game. That they were like, okay, yeah, just you know, one half, and mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll get you out after half time and make sure you get your photos. Then it, it was all very. Oh, the, they fear,
0: I wonder if they fear a loss of control. Because so much of modern football, certainly higher up, is, is choreographed to the club's tune, quite literally, sometimes with after goal music. Mm-hmm. And the way, you know, I, watched, well, I go to England to watch Middlesbrough and we've been relegated now, but the, the lead up to the game it just didn't, it was horrible. It was so noisy. It didn't allow you to sing. It doesn't allow you to celebrate a no, goal. No. So the clubs are going to lose that control of, of the more choreographed elements. And I wonder yeah. if, if there's a, a sense of that from the clubs themselves.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I went to Wembley uh, to the Scotland England friendly a few years ago, and it was all this kind of kiss cam and, and sing along with all the words up. And it was just, it was completely, oh, it was Alien hollow almost, yeah. Mm. It was hollow, it was completely. Yeah. And thankfully, at Hamden, it Saturday, you know, that's when I felt like a proper atmosphere back at an international match. There was none of the nonsense up in the big screens. Mm. It mm. was proper, watch the game, get yeah. excited about the mm-hmm. game. And some some clubs
0: have got it right, though. They've struck the balance, I mean, Mm. and and stopped fearing the Ultras and and tried Mm. to do their bit. I just wonder where it will go next, I suppose. Well, I I think think one of the
1: things, you're raising an interesting thing there about whether you can construct atmosphere Mm. or whether it's something that has to evolve from the fans themselves and from the to and fro of the game and all the rest of it. And I wonder whether we've spent way, way too much time trying to artificially construct atmosphere, yeah. you know, uh, the, the 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 kind of stuffed mascot that runs around whooping people up who, and the only people that are taking any notice are four-year-old children, you know. And then there's the half time Tannoy man that plays three songs, one of which vaguely gets up the opposition uh, team or players or whatever. And it's all right, but it just feels really now very contrived. Mm. Whereas I think the ultras are coming more from... The authenticity of the experience of the fan doing it for themselves. And, and, you know, it's great. Yeah, There was one song that they were singing at St Johnson and it was the first time in 40 years that I didn't know what they were singing. Mm. It was their song, not my song, you know, and I just love that. It's like my my club has a future,
0: you know. Yeah, it's a fantastic yeah. watershed moment, yeah. definitely, with, with, with the songs. We're going to move on to quickly speak about other pieces in this issue of Nutmeg, but, I mean, Stuart, there is a bit of worry in the piece that the days might be numbered of some of the groups because of actions. Do you, do you feel that?
1: Yeah, I, I do. Um, and in lots of ways, actually, uh, Fraser would be better to kind of tell you about this because when he was gaining access to the to the groups, there was anxiety from the clubs. At Motherwell, he mentioned the kind of issues with stewarding. And at St Johnson, uh, there was a sense that the match commander wasn't too happy with there being a photographer in there. Um, whether that was because they thought that the... I don't know. I was almost quite... encouraging them. That's what they felt. Yeah, you yeah. Know, they was... were playing up to the camera a bit more. Yeah, yeah. The more boisterous. Th- that so. that was the you know mm-hmm. the thought. Yeah. But you know my 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 feeling about it is that. Uh, issues spark up in our particular club there was a you know there was a wee bit of uh, fighting outside the ground at Hamilton and there had been uh, a little bit of theatre at Motherwell but nothing big and, and certainly not anything that would have led to anybody being hospitalised or anything like that it was kind of friskiness more than anything really serious but that gives clubs anxiety and I think that you know that the clubs fear the whole thing about could we be fined from on high might we be held responsible for our clubs home and away there's always that debate and then the other interesting thing and you saw it more with the Green Brigade than with Motherwell or St John's or whatever and that was the whole idea that they um, a significant and substantial group could actually boycott their own club because they weren't given being given the kind of support they thought they were they they, they deserve for uh, standing room only and whatever now that's been resolved at celtic and actually It's probably now something that Celtic wish they'd done two or three years earlier because, you know, the Green Brigade have been proven to be right. You can have a safe standing era. It can be appropriate for UEFA matches. You can do it and add to the atmosphere of the ground. And I know Celtic fans, I actually met a guy two or three nights ago that said just simply for the fun of it, he'd gone in with a couple of his mates. These guys are in their 40s and 50s and they'd had a a nephew with them and they just wanted to see what it was like to go into the Green Brigade brigade and stand so even for older fans there's, I'd quite like a little bit of that
0: what's it like you know I, I've thing? certainly done it at Middlesbrough and the very yeah. best thing is it's really quick to get served for a pint because yeah. they're all 17 it's yeah. <laughs> well, apart from that the atmosphere is brilliant uh,
1: uh, excuse me you're in Scotland what's a
0: pint yeah, a, very true, a pint of what
1: what were you doing <laughs> Ribena <laughs>
0: um, Fraser any, you know, you would be looking to do other photo essays, we're hoping. What other aspects of Scottish football culture will you be hoping to photograph in the future? Are you different, different ideas coming up? Oh, I mean, anything. You've caught me off guard. Though. No, that's, yeah, fair, that's fair. Fair. I mean,
2: we've got, we've got a couple of ideas. A mm-hmm. couple of ideas. And I, I don't know, right? it's, it's quite a bit of work to get it to come to. Fruition. To get access and things. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. I, I'm very keen on, I mean, this sounds like a very, very seedy idea. Um, but, but why not? I, I'm fascinated by... Uh, toilets at at football matches right because the thing about it is when you go into a toilet area there's already been fans have visited it and they've either scratched their little logo into the 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 door, or there's ultra stickers all over them or they've managed to get a little bit of spray paint in there or whatever and just to see the imprimatur and the kind of uh uh, what, what would be the right word to see the kind of hieroglyphics of visiting <laughs> football fans? I think would make a great photo essay and, and, and a really good kind of. The Italians you know, do that best,
2: I can assure yeah. you. That, yeah, you know, yeah. That's incredible, yeah. 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 That, well,
1: you'll never be going to Italy or be part well, of this Well, that's <laughs> No budget for that.
2: <laughs> um,
0: um, just quickly, what's caught your eye in this particular issue four of Nutmeg Elsewhere?
2: Well, I think you're going to talk about it coming up, but the, the um, fanzines has been mm-hmm. a great because for my person who was born in mid-80s I never really got that I mean, Kilmarnock had the Kelly Hippo, which I did <laughs> buy and I'd read, but it seems to be quite scarce now, you don't mm-hmm. see fanzines anymore, I mean, I, for obvious reasons, I mean, there's Twitter and, uh, what do you call it, kickback forums and things mm-hmm. like that, and you get all your you get, you know, good humour and the occasional fight there, mm-hmm. well, quite often you get fights there, but yeah, looking at and reading the stories, especially the St. Myrne one, the, the St. Myrne Quarter, was that yeah. the right one? Mm-hmm. That, was, that was fun. That, the the one where they did the Greenock, was it Scumopoly? That was oh, yeah, yeah. That was hilarious.
0: <laughs> well, we'll, that be, we'll be talking about that in, in just a yeah, second, yeah. but for now, Fraser and Stuart, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you very- listening to the very first nutmeg podcast or you've at least left it on in the background while you do something else next up are alan patulo and archie mcgregor to discuss a cracking extended feature in issue four of nutmeg on the life and times of scottish football fanzines welcome along alan and archie as it's our debut podcast i'm asking all people today what's the greatest footballing debut you've seen
3: all right, witness. Well, I was, I was thinking, uh, one, one I, remem- I remember uh, sitting on a beach uh, in Dumfries and Galloway listening to Graham Sunas' first game and player manager of Rangers uh, and getting himself sent off, which I remember thinking was pretty seismic at the time. Um, another one is, uh, again, it's not particularly, well, not a good memory, but uh, Chris Iwolumu debut for Scotland, which resulted in a missing an open goal, I seem to recall. It was an it's astonishing normally, miss. It was
0: an astonishing miss. <laughs> Thanks, Alan Archie, a memorable debut.
4: Yeah, funnily enough, I was at both games as well, that <laughs> uh, you're talking about there, Alan. Um, I think for me, it's probably the first time an ice cream van played a pivotal role in the build-up to a goal in Scottish football. <laughs> this was at um, St. Johnston, the old Muirton Park in the early 80s, and a game against Dumbarton and a clearance by the Suns Uh, went seriously askew and landed in this ice cream van that used to double as obviously the main um, refreshment kiosk and uh, uh, I think everybody was so distracted by that that the ball was thrown down for a corner and we scored a very easy goal from it so it's a (laughs) historic moment and a very funny one.
0: And, and no ice cream <laughs> war afterwards or anything like that. Not
4: so far away <laughs> as I'm aware. It might have kicked off one. but <laughs>
0: um, Archie, we're hoping we'll have listeners under the age of 30, so can you define what a fanzine was? Um,
4: really, uh, I suppose, DIY um, football publishing um, for supporters, by supporters, it was the kind of strap line that used to go around at the time. So it was... People who kind of, at that time, you obviously didn't have digital media and and, and so many outlets and it was giving a voice to supporters who just felt there's nothing there that actually articulates how we feel, whether it's anger, humour, frustration, the way the clubs run, just uh, travelling on away days, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's what the fans... And your your own
0: involvement was with The Absolute Game. Yeah. Describe the absolute game and what made you want to do a more general fanzine than one about your own your own team, at St John's
4: team? Um, I suppose it, uh, it was a general one because it kind of reflected um, my kind of outlook on football. I'm passionate about St Johnson but I've got great interest about football everywhere, all levels, um, and I just didn't want it um, confined to just what happened um, with with St John's. and then. When the fanzine um, phenomenon kind of gathered pace in the sort of 80s, the, the, the kind of early 80s following the punk movement. And um, when Saturday Comes came along, which is still around today, uh, as a general fanzine, I just thought, yeah, it'd be nice to have her a bit of devolution and a bit of Scottish uh, Yeah, and it
0: still retains a kind of cult following. I remember I moved up here about 13 years ago and plenty of people mentioned it to me at first as, you know, it was by then extinct, but it's very fondly remembered, isn't it? Do you feel that? Do you get that when you say you used to be involved with it? Uh, yeah, there's
4: still a lot of people um, you know, keep in touch. They've made sort of lifelong friendships out of it and, um, yeah, I'm uh, assured that there's a fairly steady turnover of them on eBay and what. What, what what have you? Um, yeah, it was just just great fun to 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 be in, involved in, and there's some great writers have emerged out of it. Chris Brookmeyer who's obviously a very famous novelist nowadays, um, you know, was one of our writers, and a few others who have gone on to carve out careers for themselves mm. in, in either writing books or journalism.
0: Talking seamlessly of which, a mm-hmm. great writer, Alan. Your own fanzine involvement. Tell us all about it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um,
3: well oh, yeah, as I mentioned in in Notmeg Four, yeah, I, start, I started off as a, a kind of more general Scottish football fanzine, perhaps a bit like being tag being an inspiration, absolute game being one of my inspirations. Um, but then after issue one, you know, my, my obsession with with Dundee sort of uh, took, um, <laughs> took over really, and I thought Ram was going to do this, make it completely just a Dundee FC fanzine, and Dundee were going through a very turbulent time at the time. This is late eighties. Angus Cook was our, our roguish chairman, was in charge. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot of disaffection, actually, amongst Dundee fans, perhaps um, reflecting on the fact that there was six, seven Dundee fanzines at one time. I think, I'm pretty sure, I remember counting them up, and in when Saturday comes, you used to have all the fanzines listed under each team, and I was very proud to see that Dundee had the most fanzines. Um, so, yeah, so after issue two, I just became Dundee, so I kind of focused on Dundee, and... Uh, yeah, so sort of took off, took off from there, and we, we uh, I was enjoying reading Archie's memories of standing outside various football grounds, sell, selling them, and uh, you know, it struck a chord with me because, uh, yeah, I used to recruit all my friends from school who weren't particularly Dundee fans, and we'd we'd go along and uh, boxes of fanzines and position them around various areas of Dens Park, and and and, and yeah, and try and flog them to to those coming along, and and again, you know, used to get the sort of slightly, the, the sort of comments, is that the fanzine? Is that, sorry, is that the programme? Is that the Match Day programme? Oh, it's no, the perennial no, question. It's the no, programme, mate, isn't uh, it? Yeah. No, it's not. And then uh, there'd possibly be a sort of a swear word and they'd pass you by and you'd be left <laughs> there with a copy of a fanzine in your hand. <laughs> you, but,
0: you went for the title, it's half past four and we're two nil down, a beautiful, evocative, uh, self-deprecating mm-hmm. title. The titles of fanzines always have stuck in my mind, has been so creative. So... Opposite to the anodyne Matchday day programme. Brian Moore's head looks uncannily like the London Planetarium. It was always a favourite of mine, the Gillingham fanzine, mm. um, when I was growing up. Any good ones stick in, in your own minds from from the era? There was a Welsh one mentioned in your uh, in Neil Forsyth piece, mm. in, in fact, wasn't there? Um, and
3: yeah, yeah.
0: that whole that whole ethos of, you know, we did the name have to be irreverent almost? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I
3: remember being quite put out. I think it was Patrick Barclay, was the the, the football writer, he used to tell me that. My fanzine's name was the worst fanzine name he'd ever heard. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you are. But he, he
3: was talking about A-Mind Gilly, I think A-Mind Gilly, right. which is another Dundee fanzine, which uh, he used to love. He loved that title. He, he used to say, why didn't you have a title as good as that? Uh, <laughs> Encouraging. Yeah, I know, I know. But, uh, yeah, as Neil, I think Neil mentioned it in his piece, Neil Forsyth mentioned it, so, Can I Bring My Dog was one of another one, which was, uh, <laughs> apparently was somebody who phoned up the club asking, a <laughs> oh, oh, supporter's... Bus if that, if that was possible, quite a random, <laughs> random question um, but yeah, it was almost, almost poetry again, looking down the, the list of fanzines at the end of When Saturday Comes at mm. the end of Absolute Game, it was almost almost poetic, wasn't it, some of the, the titles
0: And in the case of It's Half Past Four and We're 2-0 Down, I was amazed to read in the piece that there used to be a sports scene fanzine segment, and, yeah, and yeah. you got a mention from the great Doogie Donnelly himself yeah, yeah. for which particular gimmick?
3: Yeah, for putting a, we put, yeah, a bizarre idea of putting a a straw on the front page of each of each fanzine, each, each copy to 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 suck the, the grease up off your dense Park pay, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that took. That was pretty laborious process. I remember sitting in my bedroom at home and uh, sellotaping these straws onto each front cover with the help of mum and dad sisters etc um, but yeah like, 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 well, I, I, I don't know, why. it wasn't necessarily to try and get us noticed on sports scene but yeah it did seem to catch Dougie, <laughs> Dougie Donnelly's eye and uh, he held it up on, on on primetime Saturday night TV because the sports scene was Saturday night yeah. then and yeah, one of my- it's almost
0: impossible to understand the impact, therefore, culturally of fanzines because of the DIY ethos. I wondered if you'd both, Archie first, recognized one of the quotes from Neil Forsyth's piece in, in Nutmeg issue 4 floating in a sea of staples, meandering font sizes, and murky photocopies. Does that sound about right to you?
4: Oh, absolutely. In fact,. Um- I remember our our debut issue actually. Um, it was just completely um, self-produced and, and photocopied, and um, classic. I, I actually went into the office where I worked at that time at the weekend uh, to run off copies, and lo and behold, my boss appeared. <laughs> Just randomly <laughs> caught me. <laughs> uh, survived to tell the tale, but it was, oh gosh, uh, the colour in my face. And that was just one of these horrible moments. But mm-hmm. yeah, and I, actually, the the, the the sports scene, um, fanzine piece of completely bypass yeah, me and yeah. interestingly enough we're discussing it now yeah. I must have been kind of up late on a Saturday night stuffing uh, <laughs> envelopes with a p- subscription copies. <laughs> the absolute game to yeah, have missed it because I, yeah. I certainly don't remember a tag getting a mention on it um, yeah, or even must have been I don't mm. know
3: Eighty-nine, ninety, season right, of eight. All right, it's just a bit time. like yeah. one of these
0: short-lived yeah. cup competitions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how did people submit? Is this is the, the physical thing of this is really interesting. I think, especially to any of those younger listeners that we might happen to get. Physically, people couldn't email you an article. and were you getting written, handwritten articles? Mm. Were you getting typed that you then had to type out again, or how did it all work?
4: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was. There was a, a few people had typewriters, but that was the ones where. The the density of the the print kind of varied across the page and stuff, and others were were handwritten. So yeah, they all had to be um, typed up. Um, it was just incredibly yeah. labour and intensive, and obviously um, meant your publication deadline had to be pushed away out. It was yeah. um, all those. You know, some of the club fanzines came out very regularly, goodness yeah, knows they, there, was yeah. a,
3: there was a handwritten fanzine, I remember. It was a Partic one. Was it, yeah, uh, the Johnny Flood experience. Yeah, Johnny Flood experience. That was great, and also <laughs> the Sleeping Giants, another, another Dundee fanzine, was beautifully handwritten, actually, it was a lovely, lovely, you know... You
0: know, we sort of, it's a very irreverent movement and were joking a lot and laughing about it, but there was some real creativity and beautiful artwork among them. And wonky pages, obviously, it got to 3am and things like that. I mean, is it possible we could ever see a renaissance of that? It sounds ridiculous or fanciful, but then, you know, other things have come back. Books are still selling well and they were supposed to be obsolete by now. Or is that just a, a ridiculous notion?
4: Well, I suppose you've still got things like when Saturday comes and and, and Private Eye, which obviously a lot of fancy ideas, yeah, um, were were based on Private Eye features as well. So, I guess they could. It's whether well the kind of uh, current younger generation have the kind of uh, appetite to sit down and read a. Uh, yeah. a, 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 a publication, obviously. Well, Net, um, nutmeg is,
3: is is around, so yeah. proves there a, is a market. Been a piece today. Joe Joe Scadd has written a piece for the for the Independent Online um, about fanzines. It was quite right. I, I read it today, just before I came in here, and he, he talked talk to four editors of, of current fanzines. So they were making a claim that fanzines are still,
0: I mean, that are I could, still around th-
3: and still, you know, still yes, blossoming. And, and there's a, one of them was a, a Kilmarnock one. Um, the Killy Hippo I think was That's it. good to yeah. know, I
0: mean I yeah. apologise to, to any listeners for making a second Middlesbrough reference But our, fan, our printed fanzine is alive and well and into hundreds of, of issues now So there certainly are out there, whether it's just old heads refusing to give in Which brings me to the demise of your own two vehicles and the, and the movement generally in the mid-1990s What led you to give up the absolute game Archie?
4: Um, really boring. It was just pressure at work. Actually, yeah, real um, life. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you didn't I
0: mean, you didn't make thousands and become a media magnate on the back of this movie. Didn't make
4: really anything. No, it, it, it was just kind of washed its face. Um, yeah, hmm. we, we didn't get we didn't go into administration. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Alan, there was a big gap between your penultimate issue and your final issue. I think. Yeah, yeah.
3: University got in the
0: way. <laughs> just a three year gap. <laughs> just a three
3: year gap. <laughs> you got to leave them wanting more. <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah, no, we didn't go into the administration either. You know, which, which might be surprising, being a Dundee fan scene. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but no. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I can't,
0: why did I finish?
3: Uh, I still, th- I still think I haven't finished. I still. Yes, think that's the I still very. Think odd,
0: don't to ruin the piece too yeah, much. We do but, want yeah, people to listen, still, buy, and subscribe. I've, but, I've,
3: still but, got, I've still got this desire to do one more. Yeah. F- one more, one more edition, which and I said I'll do it when Dundee win when a I, when I trophy, which possibly won't be any time soon. But um, do you
0: think if you did, you would get it designed? Professionally, or you yeah. would do it in the old way in, in, in the bedroom? Get yeah. The, get the prints to again. It
3: would be a bit more professional, I think. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, talking about how, how we used to do it, I, mean, I generally used to um, write out my articles longhand and then take them to Forfer, to my local uh, nearest town to where I, where I grew up, and there were printers there, and they, they would typeset and type it up for me, and, and I'd tell them where I wanted the pictures. and It was a very laborious process. Uh, and I wasn't even—I wasn't—I was whatever I was, sixteen, seventeen. Then so my mum had to drive me along to Forfair every day to do this and <laughs> drive me back again. And uh, so yeah, I, I would look forward to doing one, possibly a bit it'd be a bit easier than that, I think. But uh, but yeah, I, I, gen- I you know genuinely have this desire to do another one, and uh, you know I'd like to think I will do it at, at some stage. But why, why it finished in '95, I don't know. It came out—the last edition came out just after well, it was it was. I had it in mind that was, it was going to um, commemorate Dundee, me seeing Dundee win their first major trophy of my lifetime uh, against Aberdeen in '95. But uh, this being Dundee, it ended up commemorating a pretty limp defeat to Aberdeen in the League <laughs> Cup final in <laughs> 1995. That's,
0: that's the fanzine way though, isn't it, Charlie? Do, do you think actually the, the movement in general slowed down faded away Purely because of the internet—that's often the reason given. I don't—I don't think that holds because a message board and now Twitter are so different to what you get in the pages of a fanzine. But for you, is that a big a big factor?
4: Um, I, yeah, I think uh, undoubtedly uh, that's that's been the the, the main one. Um, there's probably been a degree of, of um, fans becoming more organised as well with um, supporters direct and. You know that was the sort of thing we were trying to, I suppose, all inspire. Uh, I wouldn't claim any credit for it at all, but it was t- for supporters to feel empowered and get get more involved, particularly in clubs in in, in crisis situations. And you know we have started to see that um, to, to to some extent. So. Um, a degree of mission fulfilled, I guess, and yeah, mm. just uh, like I say, well, other other pressures that made it difficult to make the time commitment.
0: Do, do you remember clubs feeling threatened by fanzines? There are quite a few examples in other people's pieces in Nutmeg, because there are you know five or six pieces about the fanzines. It's a very um, extended feature. But that, that I think clubs sometimes took them quite a, took a lot of offence at the fanzines. Mm.
4: Yeah, we were uh, we were we were threatened by uh, Chris Robinson, who used to be the the owner of Hearts, because we we published a critical piece on, on him. But we managed to fortunately we managed to talk him out of it by giving him an interview, which probably was a bit of a kind of uh, propaganda free sheet for him. But um, yeah, he 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 was unhappy, and obviously you know ultimately he had to sell up because um, of the financial pressures on Hearts. Mm.
3: Uh, yeah, so. yeah. I see. I don't know, looking back, I mean, we were quite anti-Angus Cook, I remember, but I yeah, never, never got to the extent where he was sort of threatening us or anything. But um, but the, the Ron Dixon, who um, succeeded uh, Cook as owner of Dundee, actually seemed to almost embrace it. I remember he, he invited me up. He bought a copy uh, outside Den's, and and, and and I was at university at the time, and I got a letter from... And Dundee FC headed notepaper very excitingly, and, uh, and you know asking me to come to Dens for a, for a meeting in the boardroom. So I Ended up having a meeting with with Dixon, Dundee chairman. But he, he was very charming, and he seemed to quite like the idea that I was running my own sort of uh, independent magazine. Um, and, he, and he yeah gave me an interview. You embraced uh, the yeah, entrepreneur. He, he did, he did, he did. And, and, and yeah, and as I said, when he when I said in in, the, in Nutmega, Bought a copy, thrust a tenor in one of my sellers' hands, and said, "Keep, keep the change." And his drawled in his Canadian, Canadian uh, uh, voice. Uh, so yeah, I, he seemed to embrace it. I didn't really have any too many problems, but yeah, I, I was possibly quite happy. Angus Cook left Dundee when he did because I think he might have had a few problems with it if he'd
0: sat down and read it. To end on the the fanzines, um, um subject. Even if the practicalities were in place for there to be a renaissance of fanzines, do you think modern football is just too serious for this level of humour? It seems an incredibly more... When I look back at back copies, it was just, you know, taking the piss almost all the time. It wasn't elevated to the the Sky Sports' new status of now. And footballers were earning less, I suppose, and they felt more like us, and they looked a bit more like us, rotund, etc. Is it too serious now for a fanzine?
4: Uh, I don't think football ever loses its humour. I I do have, again, some concern about social media, especially Twitter, that just makes people angry all the time and Mm. um, easily offended. And uh, I can imagine many pieces in in the absolute game from days gone by that, if there was an equivalent now, people would just be, yeah, there'd be at least a minor Twitter storm about, you know, who do they think they are publishing this? So yeah uh, that would be a bit of a concern for me that just people can't sort of stand back and uh, yeah, look at things um, kind of from a, a satirical point of view.
0: Mm. Okay, well to wrap up, have you two, either of you had a chance to look at the rest of Nutmeg issue four, anything else that's caught your eye or has it only just landed on the doormat for you? I can recommend yeah, yeah, a beautiful well, piece on page three, a very evocative piece. Um, Archie, <laughs> what I were you going to say? avoid page three.
4: <laughs> um, no, well, actually, uh, one of the things I like about Nutmeg is in, in the footsteps of the absolute game, it, it does have quite a focus on some of the smaller clubs. so I really liked the pieces on Cowdenbeath and, 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 and Montrose and the third Lanark, Queen's Park piece was you know, really good. Not just... Not just the football and learning about Govan Hill as a as a community, I thought was really fascinating. You know, the, the high immigrant pop population there. Interest in cricket as well in that, that area. Mm. And Kosovo as well. I always like, yeah, stuff about underdogs. So that 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 piece yeah. was
3: very yeah, interesting sure. too. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I mentioned Joel Scout again, but this, yeah, his coding piece coding piece was very 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 good. And one of the one of the um, paragraphs he was talking about uh, going to watch a game at Gala Bank, I think, and uh, having to make his way through a game of 5 aside, side which I, I'd love to know more about that so in order to get to the turnstiles. I thought, yeah, I <laughs> had to go through some kind of, I don't know, power league complex or something.
0: Well, I think it's fair to say that we hope some of the fanzine ethos drips onto the pages of Nutmeg magazine, but that's about it for the first edition of the Nutmeg podcast. Please spread the word and look out for those extras before episode two of this main podcast in the autumn, where we'll be discussing issue five of the magazine. Nutmeg is available to buy online at nutmegmagazine.co.uk, along with back issues and subscriptions. It can also be found in a couple of shops, Six Yard Box in Edinburgh and Social Recluse in Glasgow. And remember to look out for the Mind of the Time Poetry Anthology, which is a collaboration between Nutmeg and Football Memories Scotland, which has just been published. Please follow us on Twitter, at Nutmeg Magazine. But for now, goodbye from me, Daniel Gray, and all of us at Nutmeg, roll on August.